Good morning, I am Joe Collins and I want to welcome you to See Me Church. It is great to be with you this morning. Last time we uh, ended for now our series entitled The Church, or really it was about See Me Church, and we talked about our mission statement, love God and neighbor one household at a time. Today I want to launch a new teaching series and it's called One-on-One -on -One with Jesus. And I had our new intern, Aaron, do the logo for this. And so apparently that's a cool way to describe one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. It's way cooler than anything I would do. And I could say that uh, with a lot of confidence. Now the idea of this series is we're going to just go through the Gospels primarily. And we're going to look at specific interactions Jesus had with specific people. And then we want to see if we can't draw out of those interactions things that are relevant to our faith and to our life today. Have you ever had a one-on-one -on -one with someone who was very meaningful in your life? I had the fortunate uh, opportunity to meet uh, Coach John Wooden. He was a Hall of Fame historic coach at UCLA way back in the 60s and the 70s. And uh, he is uh, renowned, was renowned as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college basketball coach of all time. But more than that, he was a really good person. And he was one of my dad's heroes. He became one of my heroes. He's the reason why I root for UCLA even to this day. I had a chance to meet him. And it was incredibly exciting for me. A friend of mine gave me some tickets. The tickets were in the section of the stadium where he would sit. Years after he had retired, he would go to every, every, just about every UCLA home game. He had two seats, him and his wife or whoever would be sitting there. And it was an amazing thing to be in the arena when he's in the arena because during the game, at halftime or, at, or in between periods or at, or at timeouts, people from all over the arena would walk down and shake his hand and talk with him, take a picture, get an autograph. It happened continually throughout every game. And he shook everybody's hand. He gave them some personal attention. You got, you got a nice little talking to, a nice moment with him. And then you would go on and someone else. It was incredible. Literally, there'd be a, literally a line during the game of people standing there wanting to talk to him. As he got older, into, he lived into his 90s. Uh, and I met him right around late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they asked that people would only come down during breaks, like half times or or timeouts, because that's how much people wanted to just sit and talk with him. So I had my opportunity. We got to, I was sitting maybe three or four rows behind him. I could see him. The break happened. I had my son Hunter with me. We ran down there. We got in the line. We were able to uh, have a, a handshake and exchange a few words. I introduced him to my son Hunter. And then the coolest thing was then he invited Hunter to come and sit with him for the next several minutes of the game. And it was so cool to be just a few rows back and see him there talking to my son and them interacting. It was just one of these great moments. Have you ever had a moment like that with someone just special to you that you could have that one-on-one? That -on -one? That's what this series is about. I want us to have one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus as we go through. I want us to live through the people that he interacted with and have a moment with Jesus. Today... We're going to start off with a bang. We're going to go through four. Normally, I don't do that. I like to just stick to one thing at a time. But we're going to go through four one-on-one -on -one moments that people had with Jesus. It'll be brief, though. I promise you. They're very brief interactions. 
So we'll keep things moving. But I really want you to open up your eyes and your heart to the lesson today. I really believe God has something to say to you this morning, as he has to me preparing this lesson. So with that, we're going to turn to John chapter 1, verse 35. I have the slides on the screen or the text on the screen as well. And we're going to pray and ask for God's blessing before we begin our lesson. Father, thank you so very much for bringing us together this morning for giving us such an amazing time to worship and to connect with one another and now, Father, with you. I pray that you speak to us through your word, through your son's words. Help each one of us feel as if we're sitting there one-on-one with him this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When Jesus saw him passing, he said, Look, the Lamb of God... When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So the situation is John the Baptist. You may have heard of him. His ministry was in full swing. thousands of people were coming out to hear John preach, to accept his message of repentance, and to be baptized by him, including Jesus. He came as well. And on one particular occasion, while they were all hanging out down there with John the Baptist, two unknown people, we're going to learn who one of them is in a minute, but two unnamed disciples of John overhear John talking about Jesus. And John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Now, this was an interesting phrase. It's a messianic title, and it has a lot of implications. Now, the two who overheard this immediately approached Jesus, and they asked to spend time with him. Now, I like to read. I don't know if you like to read. But in books, in plays, even in movies, the first words spoken by the main character are usually significant. They grab your attention. They reveal something about that person's character. Here we read the first words of Jesus in John's gospel, and surprisingly, they are not some great teaching. They are not some timeless precept. They're not some famous call to action, as we might expect, but rather they were just a simple, everyday question. What do you want? I like that in the story, we don't know who these two men are just yet. I like it because it gives me the opportunity to frame this first one-on-one between Jesus and any one of us. This could be any one of us. It could be me. It could be you. It could be any one of us. In fact, it really is all of us. And the truth is, as we go through this series, I don't want you to forget that. I want you to remember that all of the ones-on-ones with Jesus that we're going to read about, yeah, they may be between him and a character in the Bible or a person, but the reality is, as we read them, they really become about us and Jesus. And so every Sunday we do this series, it's really going to be a one-on-one with Jesus between you and him, between me and him, every bit as much as it was between him and the characters. So I have a question for you. What does this 
first statement, these first words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I do want you to answer. I do, if you think about it, feel free to blurt out an answer. But what do they reveal to you about the character of Jesus? What do they say to you? Imagine you're there. You hear John say, the Lamb of God. You immediately think, wow, I got to get to know who that guy is. You go to pursue him, and he turns around, and he looks at you, and he says, what do you want? He wants to know you. Anyone else? He cares about you. Same thing. We're going to have that up here. Two of those. Anyone else? He's straightforward. He wants to be with you. Everything he did was purposeful. For me, when I think about that statement, I think it says to me that he wants to know my motivation. It also makes me think about my motivation. What is my motivation? Am I here following Jesus because I want to be here? Because I want to go like they did wherever he was going? Or am I here because I had nothing better to do this morning? Am I here because someone else expects me to be here? What is the reason you're here? What is it that you want? The answer to that question is very important. It speaks to our internal desires, our motivations, our yearnings. And I think as we go through every one of these one-on-ones, I think we're going to be forced to ask that question over and over and over again. What is it that I'm looking for? What is it that I want? And I hope that all of us will answer like they did. We just want to be with you. We just want to go wherever it is that you're going. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So here we find out who one of the two of these unknown disciples were. It was a man named Andrew. And after spending a day with Jesus, he went and he found his brother Simon and he tells him, hey, we found the Messiah. Now, I don't know exactly what that meant to Andrew. Like, I don't know exactly how they understood that concept of Messiah. It probably isn't the same as we think of it today. But I do know this. Messiah fever had gripped the Jewish people throughout their history. And none more so than during this time. They were looking for the Messiah. Whatever that may have meant to them, they were looking for him. And this was one of those times in their history, maybe the most intense time of their history, where they were really seriously thinking that he was coming and they were looking for him. So it makes sense that Andrew if he really believed Jesus might be that Messiah, would go find his brother Simon and want him to meet him. 
Which brings me to the second interaction, the second one-on-one with Jesus between Simon and Jesus. And this time it's not a question, but it was a declaration. He said to Simon, you will be called Cephas. At first glance, these words may seem weird. I mean, how many people have you met at first meeting? You walk up, hi, I'm Joe. No, your name is Bobby. A little unusual. But they were packed full of meaning. You see, in in Hebrew, Simon meant he has heard or he is listening. And it was most notably the name of the patriarch Jacob, the man who later became known as Israel. It was his second oldest son's name. Now that son, Simon, in Jewish history, which would have been known to Peter and everyone there, That Simon was known for his rash and impulsive behavior. Coincidentally, this Simon, Andrew's brother Simon, was also known for rash and impulsive behavior. We learn that later on in the Gospels. Yet upon first meeting, Jesus called him Cephas. It's an Aramaic word. And when it translates into Greek, it's Peter. And both of them mean a rock. When I was growing up, I was sometimes called Little Joe. I grew up in a family of four. I was the youngest by many, many years. I grew up in a cul-de-sac. The neighbors next to us had 12 kids. The neighbors on the other side had four. The neighbors across the street had four. We had four. There was two. I grew up in a cul-de-sac full of kids, all different ages, and I was the second youngest of all of those kids growing up. And so I was called Little Joe and kind of pushed around, and I don't want to overuse the word bullied. I'm not going down that whole sense of that word. But, you know, you just kind of didn't get your way a lot when you're the youngest among all of those kids. And I really hated it because I felt little growing up in that kind of environment. And I would go to my mom, and I would cry, and I would feel bad, and my mom would comfort me, and she would say, Don't worry, one day you won't be so little. And you know, she was right. I grew up, and I actually became bigger and stronger than just about all of those other people, and they stopped calling me Little Joe. The problem is I haven't stopped getting bigger, and I kind of wish I was Little Joe again, but you know, that's a whole nother sermon that we're going to have to deal with another time. I don't know how Simon felt about his name growing up, but I got to believe that he liked being called Rocky because that's what Jesus named him. And you know what's funny? Simon's name was Simon Bar-Jonah, which is Johnson. So he was Simon Johnson, and now he's Rock Johnson. (laughs) Way better than Dwayne Johnson. You can see why Dwayne changed his name to Rock. You see, I really think that calling Peter Rocky gave Peter a sense of who he could be. I think it appealed to Peter's better angels. You may come to Jesus and you may be an addict 
or insecure or gutless or a failure or whatever. And in one encounter, he can change your story. It's not that he doesn't know who you are. It's that he sees who you can be. One encounter. Impulsive, rash Peter or Simon became rocky. The same can be said of every one of us in our encounters with Jesus. In our first meeting, Jesus had a vision for every one of us. And he has a vision for the people we love and we care about, just like we have vision for them. And he wants to change their story like he changed your story, like he changed Simon's story. One one-on-one encounter can make a world of difference. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The next person to interact with Jesus one-on-one was not someone who approached Jesus, but it was someone who Jesus approached. And his name was Philip. And Jesus had asked him, hey, will you travel with me back up to Bethsaida? They were staying with John for several days, weeks, maybe months. And then when it was time to go back to work or harvest or whatever the case may be, many of these people that were there enjoying that time with John would head home. And in this case, these guys, at least Philip, was heading back to Bethsaida, about 60 miles north, just on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus asked if he could go with him. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that, again, that this was some weird interaction where some stranger walked up to Philip and said, hey, can I, can I travel with you? It, it's not like that. There was a lot of familiarity between all of these people. The name of Bethsaida in Hebrew is literally House of Fishing, Almost all of the early disciples of Jesus were fishermen, and they were from that area. So it is very probable that these guys all knew each other and actually were kind of familiar with Jesus to begin with when they were spending time there with John. So it's not so strange. It wasn't like he just walked up and asked a random person. He asked Philip. And there was intention behind that. There was purpose. You think about what it means to be a fisherman. They're hardworking. They're humble. I think Jesus saw those qualities, but there's something else that I think Jesus saw in these fishermen, and that was they were sort of a close-knit group. And when you talk to one of them, word would spread to the others very quickly. We see that with Andrew. As soon as he meets Jesus and spends the day with him, he immediately goes to talk to his brother Simon. Well, here we see Philip having an encounter with Jesus, and he immediately goes and finds Nathaniel. And that's the quality that I think Jesus really wanted to draw out of his early disciples. It was their tendency to go out there and tell other people about him. They were tellers, not bank tellers, but they were tellers. They would tell people about their experiences or about their life. They would go on and share with others. We often call ourselves disciples or believers or Christians. What about tellers are we not tellers of Jesus to other people 
I think maybe we should use that word. Maybe we should put it into our language. Who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. I tell other people about Jesus. I think that's one of those qualities that Jesus saw here in Philip and Andrew and the rest of these fishermen. Are you currently telling someone about Jesus? Have you written their name down? Have you prayed for them, invested in them, invited them, prepared yourself for them? Are you currently telling someone or a group of someone's about Jesus? I'm going to ask the ushers to do me a favor. I've got a couple ushers in here, and they have some cards that I'd like them to hand out. If you don't have one, raise your hand. If you already have one, don't worry about it. You already have one. But if you guys could stand up, hold up the cards. Anyone that needs a card, please raise your hand. We want to pass those out because we want everyone in our fellowship to have one of these cards because on these cards, you can write down the names of the people that you're currently telling about Jesus. And if you use these cards or look at them every day, stick them on your fridge or on your alarm clock or keep them in your Bible where you'll see them, then you will be reminded every day that there is a group of people that you can go and tell about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus was looking for people who would be fishers of men. They were people who would tell other people about Jesus. We're going to close out here in verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we come to our last one-on-one -on -one interaction. I said we'd do four and I said they'd be brief. And this is between Philip's friend Nathaniel and Jesus. Now, at first glance, Nathaniel comes off a bit snooty. He's a bit sarcastic. He hears about Jesus and that Jesus is from Nazareth, and he's like, Can anything good come from Nazareth? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, and we used to think that way about Simi Valley. Oh, Simi Valley? Can anything good come from Simi Valley? <laughs> However, just like with Simon, Jesus saw something different in Nathaniel. And upon meeting him, he said, Here truly is an Israelite, in him there is no deceit. What an interesting response. You know, I've been studying this one out, and there's a couple of interesting ways to take this phrase. It's possible that Jesus was being sarcastic right back to Nathaniel. Which would be in line sometimes with how Jesus dealt with people. Oh, you're going to be snooty? I'll be snooty right back to you. 
here's a person. Oh, so you're a valley guy. Something like that. The word deceit there is a play on words in the, in the Greek, and it's similar to the word for Jacob, which was the name of the patriarch, who was also later called Israel. And it could be that Jesus is sort of saying, oh, here's a Jew who, who's not a true Israelite. Like, he could have been saying something like that. It's, it's not totally clear to me. But whatever Jesus did, it surprised Nathaniel. Nathaniel didn't expect the response that he got. And so he said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the, the King of Israel. I mean, Nathaniel was a bit taken back by Jesus' answer because Jesus had mentioned that he saw him sitting under a fig tree. And there's another interesting phrase right there. I don't know if he meant that like miraculously, like Jesus somehow in his God vision could see Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree when no one else did or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Or did he literally see him? I don't know. What I do know is that phrase sitting under a fig tree was an idiom. It was an idiom of the day. Like we might say, oh, her hair was on fire. Like we get what that means. Oh, like, you know, she's a spark plug. Her hair is on fire. Something like that, right? Well, it could mean literally that her hair was on fire, but it also could mean that she was an energetic, upbeat person, whatever you want to, however you want to, you know, describe that. So that sitting under the fig tree was also an idiom for meditation. So Jesus could have said, Something like, hey, I could see that you, you know, you meditate. You really connect with God. I saw you meditating earlier. I don't, I don't know what he meant. Did he literally see him under a fig tree or did he see him meditating? It's not totally clear, but whatever it was, it surprised Nathaniel. He was taken a bit back by that, and that's when he declared, wow, you, you really are the Son of God. What I love about that interaction is that Jesus... However you want to take it, whether he meant physically under a fig tree or whether he meant, uh, I saw you meditating. Jesus saw something in Nathaniel that stood out to him. He was a true believer. He was a spiritual guy. And that was enough for Nathaniel to declare you are the Son of God. How hard are you making it for Jesus to reveal himself to you? I mean, all it took for Nathaniel was Jesus just to notice that he was a spiritual guy. That was it. And Nathaniel was like, I'm in. What do you make Jesus do before you say, I'm in? I mean, what hoop are you trying to get him to jump through? Well, hey, you got to get me a job first. Or, hey, I got to get married first. Or, I mean, what are you doing? Are you expecting an embossed and engraved and signed invitation? Let me say something. You're not going to get it. It's not that you haven't been invited. It's that you've been ignoring all the previous invitations. I mean, what does Jesus have to do? I love that Jesus is almost surprised by Nathaniel. Wow, you, you believe just because of that? I mean, I might have just, you know, maybe you didn't see me seeing you. Like, I mean, that's all it took, Nathaniel? You're going to see amazing things if that's all it takes. The same is true, I think, for every one of us. If we just 
soften our, our hearts, if we just open our eyes a little more, I think we might see amazing things that Jesus wants to do in our lives, that he's doing in our lives, but we've got to be willing to see them. We can't hold this bar over Jesus so high that he has to you know, recreate earth and heaven for you just to come to faith. I mean, have we gotten so comfortable with our remote controls and our 150 cable channels and all the, the easiness of life that we can't get up anymore and, and, and do something <laughs> or, or, to, or to accept everyday things as evidence? I appreciate Chris he, up here, got baptized yesterday. He, uh, he is going to share in a couple weeks for communion and tell you more of his story. But one of the things that he said to me is he said, you know, I really was just sitting there one day and realized, what am I waiting for? Yeah, what are you waiting for? Great. I'm glad you saw that. And now he's come to faith. Let me ask you, what are you waiting for? Are you trying to make Jesus go hang the moon again just so you can say you believe? Is that where you set the bar? What about the people in your, in your worlds? You know, we handed out the cards, the people that you're telling about Jesus. Maybe that's a good conversation to have with them. What is he already doing in your life? How has he already revealed himself to you? He's doing it all the time. Maybe we start noticing that. Maybe it'll be a lot easier to come to faith. So we've looked at four brief interactions that Jesus had with different individuals, and we were able to glean a few things out of them. Hopefully you found some of them helpful. But I want to leave you with just that thought from the very beginning, the very first one. What do you want? All of these interactions are going to begin and end there. What do you want? What's your motivation? Why are you here? It's a question as much that Jesus wanted to know as it is for us to know about ourselves. Why am I here? What do I want? What is my motivation? That is a good question to ask every one of ourselves. And I hope we'll do that as we go forward looking at this series, one-on-ones with Jesus. We're going to go ahead and stand on up. I'm going to say a prayer. We'll close out. As you do that, I want to invite you back next Sunday. We're here most every Sunday, same time. We'd love to tell you more. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today. Thank you for the great insights in your word and how powerful they are. And God, we just look forward to going forward and seeing these interactions and looking at them and having them apply to our lives and what great insights and lessons are going to be learned for us. Thank you so very much for coming to this earth, for living among us, leaving us a record so that we can come to faith in you. Bless our day today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside 
There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom A savior He's a prison shaking savior If you got chains He's a chain breaker We've all searched for the light of day and the dead of night We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker See you.